0: Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We're, we're going to start a new series that we're going to be in for a few weeks just called Edit. And uh, basically, the heart behind this message is to make sure that we really understand that Christ is able to give us a do-over, okay? I don't know if you remember um, some games that you played when you were a child, but you'd ask for a do-over. Maybe it was horse, and you made a shot, and you missed it. I want a do-over. You were playing checkers, and you realized you had a better move, and you wanted a do-over, and so spiritually speaking, a lot of times we look at our lives and we think that, you know, the redemptive power of Christ um, is something that it really belongs to good people or better people than us or e- even perfect people, and it becomes uh, something that we really wrestle with in our, in our salvation story rather than just accepting the simplicity of the gift of God. And so, um, without doubt, we are our worst critics. Uh, Oftentimes, we will forgive other people before we forgive ourselves. We take something that we've done and we just attach it to our lives and our thoughts and our energy uh, for months and even years of of time, but yet we will easily let somebody else go, let, let them off the hook. We feel that perfection is somehow achievable. And even though we know that we're, we're a fallen mankind, even though we're fully aware of the story of man and, and what Scripture says and even what our own history says, we just still think that maybe perfection was attainable and that becomes the standard by which we live. So I want to start with Romans chapter 10, verse 11, and just kind of let, let this kind of lead the talk this morning. But it says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so this is, this is a word that I really want to focus on this morning is shame. I don't know if maybe even growing up you heard a parent say this word too, ashamed. And they, they would say things like, I'm ashamed of you. I'm ashamed of what you did. Or, or they, they would flip it and say, you should be ashamed of what would happen. And I think in some ways we carry this word uh, with us, the word shame, and as we experience life, as we make decisions that may not have been the best, and as our story of life unfolds, and it unfolds in a way that we didn't think it was going to unfold, this word becomes very real to us. And shame becomes part of who we are, and we almost wear it. We, we, we put it on, it becomes part of our identity. And so to set this up and talking about edit, I want to talk about a couple of things. The first one is word processing, okay? And so in the early 90s when I went, went to college, computers were still a luxury, okay? My, actually, my, my first computer was a Commodore 64, okay? Anybody else had, had a Commodore? Yeah. And then I moved on to the 101,000. Anybody know, no t- Radio Shack, yeah. And so, uh, but they were very expensive, and so when I went to college, um, I needed something. I mean, everything was about writing and researching, and I had to get used to that, that life, and so I didn't want to take a typewriter, which was very, you know, the thing still. Um, so my parents bought me a word processor. Now, a word processor was not a computer, but it was certainly not a typewriter either. That was offensive. And so the word processor had a very small screen, much like a calculator, and you could hold up to a paragraph of data at a time. And then before you hit print to put it on your paper, you could go back and reread it, okay? And so it was just breakthrough technology. was amazing. You know, you had this ability to edit. It wasn't like a typewriter where you just had to kind of, oh, man, you had to go back and scroll the paper up and mess with Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. And then we got into texting, and texting was just a major breakthrough. Because why have a 15-minute conversation with anyone when you can have two sentences and get the same job done? You just remove all the fluff and filler of the conversation. And my first, my very first text, I sent it in 1998, and it was the word hello, before Adele made it popular. And so, to text hello, though, you had to type 4433-555-555-666, okay? Come on, y'all, anybody know what I'm talking about? You are the true texters. You brought it in, okay? We're all standing on your shoulders, but now we have smartphones, and we got this little option that you can turn off or on. It's called autocorrect. It's supposed to help us, okay? But it doesn't. It makes things worse, okay? So how many of you have ever sent something, and it looked nothing like what you wanted it to be? Anybody just raise your hand high. Yeah, all of us have experienced that. And we're like, shoot. And so we go back, and we start texting again. We're like, let me explain. I didn't mean to call you that. What I really meant was... and. You know, stupid autocorrect. You know, hashtag autocorrect. Um, And so it tries to edit mistakes. It ends up creating more. And so I'm going to give you just a few examples of conversations that include autocorrect issues. Okay, here it is. Hey, Rachel lost her camera last night. She thinks it's in your womb. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not there. OMG, I meant to say room. That's gross. Okay. Okay. The second one, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. Why is, that, why is that funny? It's not funny, David. Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh, my goodness. I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. Okay. Some of you just now figured out what LOL means right now. Where's Granny? I thought she was going to be here for Thanksgiving. Grandma is in the grave. What are you saying? Oops, I meant to say Garage. Okay. Thank God for editing. Okay. The ability to circle back and fix it, to make it right. And we look at our lives spiritually and we think, I would love to edit a few places. Okay. I don't even have to have you raise your hand or look at me or even wink at me to know that all of us want that ability. To go back to a certain place, maybe a certain time, a certain season, a certain conversation, a certain action, and just take it off. Make it right. Fix it. Work it out. Change the aftermath of what happened because of it. But I'm thankful that I don't have to wear my spiritual mistakes, and you don't either. Because Jesus abolished our shame through the work on the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what I really want to bring out here is not the part about scorning shame. It's really that he's the author and the finisher. If he's writing the story, if he's got the ability to author it and to finish it, and I am in him, then my content must succumb to his will. So he has the ability to edit my spiritual walk however he desires as long as I remain in him. I've spoken to you before about guardrails, and the way that we kind of put that out there was uh, the, the mental image of you going down the freeway, and you got a guardrail on the left and a guardrail on the right, and those are to protect you from going off the road and veering off. And we gave definition to those using Scripture that one guardrail is loving God and the other guardrail is loving people. And as long as we love God and we love people, then we're in in the right place. Everything we do in between that is going to be in the center of God's will as long as we're loving God and loving people. But it's when we veer away from that that there's a great thing that happens to us called conviction, And conviction is when the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks to our lives and we recognize it. As a matter of fact, you can't even come to Christ without it because it's the Holy Spirit that draws you to Jesus, and Jesus is the door to the Father. But you've got to be drawn to Christ through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And so as conviction comes, here's what happens. The enemy somehow turns that, that thought that the Holy Spirit has given us, that, that feeling, that motivation to make things right, and he flips it into condemnation. And so many times I've heard people leave churches and go, man, I, I heard what you said this morning, but it makes me feel really bad. The truth of the matter is, when you feel conviction, you've got to understand that you feel that way because God loves you. He could leave you in your mess. He could leave you veering off the road, but he doesn't want you to. He's going to call you back to him even if the truth hurts us. He's going to be truthful to us and tell us, you shouldn't act this way, think this way, respond this way. This is what your life is turning into. The Bible even tells us at one point that the Bible is like a mirror. And so sometimes he shows us who we really are, and we're like, oh, I did not realize that. That's how I was was living and thinking and the person I was becoming. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Don't get confused by conviction and replace it with condemnation. The Bible goes on to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. As a church and as individual believers on Christ, we should be praying to be convicted. Lord, let, let me be sensitive to your spirit. Lead me, guide me, direct me, give me the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so it's rare to see people blush or blink over sin in our, in our culture. A lot of times we look at conviction and we brush it away. We don't, we don't, we don't really want to hear what's going on with our, our lives. As a matter of fact, if we, if we take a time hop back, most of our parents watch sitcoms where the married couples wouldn't even sleep in the same bed. Because the networks thought the American people would balk at that being shown. It wasn't until 1964 when Bewitched and the Munsters came out that they started showing that on prime time as a normal behavior for married people. As a matter of fact, the Flintstones started it before that. Fred and Wilma okay, brought it out. And so Friday nights at our home, the Friday night lineup, and this is going to tell you what era I'm from, was 7 o'clock, the Dukes of Hazard. Can I get a witness, somebody? Best show ever. Okay, some of y'all still have the theme song. You should be ashamed of yourself. Your horn on your car makes that noise when you... 7 o'clock, Dukes of Hazzard. 8 o'clock was Dallas. 9 o'clock was Falcon Crest. Okay. Now, my parents only let me watch the Dukes of Hazard, but I'm going to tell you something. Daisy Duke, a little racy sometimes, okay? And so, as a kid, I remember just watching Daisy Duke and watching Daisy Duke and watching Daisy Duke. And my dad was not a theologian, but he knew something. And, and so, it wouldn't like, he'd be like, hey, you know what? Stop drooling on the carpet. He would come up with something crazy like, hey, why don't you go to the kitchen and give me some tea? Really? Right in the middle of this show? I can't wait till the commercial? No, I want some tea now. And he got me up. I'm away from Daisy Duke. Okay? He's trying to be a voice of conviction in my life because conviction is a good thing to see something and turn from it, to know where I stand with that. But watch this. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, here it comes talking about our shame and sin. He says this. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Meaning this, the whole purpose of the work of the cross was for you and I to experience freedom. Not to become slaves to anything, but to be free. And then he goes on and says, do not let yourself be burdened again. Meaning we were burdened. We were burdened by the sin. We were burdened by the shame. We were burdened by the guilt. And he says, listen, don't let yourself be burdened again By a yoke of slavery. A yoke being something that went over the necks of two animals to keep them in tandem. Listen, he said, don't don't put your head into the yoke of slavery again. It's over. What I did made it possible for you to be free. Maybe it's been a while since you've heard those words today. That you can live in freedom. That in Christ is waving goodbye to all of the shame to all of the guilt, to all of the stuff. It's waving goodbye to all of those things that keep you kited down, that that holds you, that that keep you stunned, that that keep you walking on eggshells. All of that stuff is gone. He said, don't take on the burden again and return back to a yoke of slavery. So let me talk to you about a couple of thoughts this morning. The first thing I want you to walk away with today is this. You can't edit shame through religion. You can't. Most of us in this room, my my, my bet is, is this, that you know a whole lot more about religion growing up than you did relationship. Do you know that it, I was in my, my 20s, well into my 20s, before I heard a solid message about the grace of God? I knew... Every single scripture on hell and what, I, what, what we thought would send us there and all the stuff, but very little did we ever work in the graces of God. And again, in my 20s, late, when I heard just a, a heart-stopping um, a message about the grace of God and the magnitude of it, I was blown away. But here's what what religion is. It is a false sense of holiness. Because we think, if I will do something, then what I've done is holy and righteous, and then because of the righteousness, God will love me. I do something, then I'm righteous, then comes the love of God. But it's not true. Okay the love of God comes first transforms us and from the transformation righteousness comes we've been living it the wrong direction for a long time and the church has even cheated you on it because we thought the doctrine was pure but it's not The love of God always comes first. You don't trump his love. You don't do anything to call it in. You don't conjure it or cajole it. It comes. It's natural. It's the love of God. He is love. And then we get it and we're transforming from that flows righteousness. But we've been taught this, that if I will just wear the right things, then God loves me, or then then I'm holy, then God loves me. And I do believe in modesty. I'm not trying to throw all this stuff out. I'm just saying that it's not what causes God to love us. But we were taught, hey, listen, if you will dress this way, then then you're modest, then you're holy, then God is pleased with you. If we don't use certain words, then I'm righteous, then God loves me. So if I get angry, I lose my temper, as long as I maintain the self-control through the gift of the Holy Spirit, then from that comes holiness, then God loves me. Because I did it. If I avoid certain places, I think I've told you all this before, but my, uh, my grandmother used to tell me that her mama would, dry, would avoid the movie theater by a block because she didn't even want the kids to see it. So she would avoid it. Like if they need to go to the grocery store and the movie theater was going to be there, she would dodge it by a block so the kids couldn't see the theater. Religion. I'm going to drive by, and the movie's going to put some type of voodoo on me. And then I'm going to be unrighteous, and God ain't going to be happy with me. And because God ain't not happy with me, then I'm going I'm to go to hell. My grandmother told me, she said, Kevin, when I first decided to be a, a believer, it was not because I loved God. It was because I was scared of where he would send me. And that's, that, that just echoed in me and reminded me that that means we knew more about religion than we ever knew about relationships. So we thought if we avoid certain places, then then I'm holy, then God loves me. If I don't drink too much, then I'm holy, then God loves me. If I light a candle and I pray the right thing and I say the right words and I recite the right stuff, then I'm holy, then God loves me. If I sing a song, and the enemies even messed this up in in church, capital C, because then the the temptation for every church leader was, well, we got to make it right for everybody. So for one era, one one generation we got to sing an anthem and for one generation we got to sing a hymn and for one generation we got to sing modern and for this group over here we can have music and for this group we, we can't have music and then we got to have the volume just right. It can't be up here, it can't be down. Here, it's got to be just right. And all of a sudden even to worship God became something that was so overcomplicated. But we think if if if, if I do it, if I if I just sing then I'm holy, then God God loves me. You know what? I haven't been living right, but I'm gonna give some money. And if I give some money, then God, then I'm holy. Then God, God will love me. I I will pay my way into favor. If I attend church, you know why some people come only on Christmas and Easter? Out of shame. They feel like I can't. I, I know who I am, and I can't go in there on a weekly basis. Because I know who I am. The, the, the church has to be a place. It's, all the people there are perfect, right? Listen, the church was amazing until people got involved, right? This would be a perfect church if none of us were here. But when Gene Morris showed up, <laughs> it is down the toilet. We were doing really good till he came. If I attend church... So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go on Easter, I'm going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm going to come back on Christmas, I'm going to celebrate his birth, I'm going to do that again and again and again because I'm just, I'm full of shame. I know who I am, but I'm going to go those few times and hopefully by just going, by the act of going and doing something religious, I will earn righteousness and then God will love me. Okay. I had a friend one time, and he said, Kevin, hey, as, as long as I get Christian tattoos, I'm still okay, right? Like, I, I, got, I got an ichthus, and I got, I got a, a, a picture of Mary, and I got, a, I got a cross over here, and I got, like, most of the New Testament across my torso. I mean, I'm still okay, right? You know? I'm like, man, we got this all wrong. What we're trying to do is, 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 is do the right thing to get the work of the cross and here's why religion feels good. I hope y'all are hearing me this morning. This is why religion feels good is because you feel like you've earned it. Remember that feeling when you, when you had your first job and you got your first paycheck? Mine, I was 16 years old. I was working at Kroger here in town, and I had worked all week in the, in the meat department, which is not the nicest department to work in. But all week long, I worked all week long, and come Friday I got a check. It was like $38. And I was like, I'm gonna buy some gas. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a meal. I'm gonna go to a movie. Movie's like five, five bucks. Then I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna, and, and then I gotta start all over again. But it wasn't money my dad handed me. It wasn't a gift from my mom. It wasn't in a birthday card. It wasn't in a Christmas card. Thirty eight bucks of my work went into that, and I was proud because I earned it. And we've moved that feeling into our spiritual walk. I'm gonna wear the right stuff. I'm gonna say the right things. I'm gonna do the right things. I'm gonna give money. I'm going to attend. I'm gonna only get Christian tats. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sing songs and light candles and I'm gonna pray the right prayer and I'm gonna sing the right songs. And somehow in this circus of stuff, I'm gonna earn what God gave me. Because this is what we say to people in our lives, right? Spouses, when you fight with each other, don't don't sometimes you say. I'm gonna make this up to you, okay? I can't be there tonight, but I'm I'm gonna make it up to you because we we believe we gotta earn it back. I did this. I know I hurt your feelings, but listen, I'm gonna make it up to you. And we go and we we buy something, and we hope it's gonna fix it because we 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 want we equate the earning and the getting to being a system that plays out in every part of our lives. But it will not work with the cross. It was too big and too great and too strong. It was enough for all of it. If you had a million lifetimes, you couldn't sing and give and attend enough to earn it back. It's just one of those things where you have to stand and know that it was done out of of love. It's just something you got to take. And, and, and to your spiritual man, it even feels weird because you're like, I got to do something. I got to be punished. I got to be disciplined on this because I, I know me. I know what I've done. How am I just supposed to accept this thing? But that's exactly what he wants you to do. You can't earn it through religion. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, he was a, a leader, guys, a big leader. He knew a lot, was an important man, and he came to Christ. He said, listen, man, there's no, there's no doubt you're the son of God. There's no doubt you, well, you are who you say you are because of all these amazing things you're doing. And he said, but, but, but listen, I, I, I'm, I'm cloudy on this born again thing that, that you're teaching. I, don't, I mean, how do I do it? I mean, I mean, how, how, how does me as a grown man, how do I return to the womb and be born again? And Jesus rebukes him in verse 10 of chapter 3, and he says, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't even understand these things. What he's saying is this, religion will never understand the ease of the work of Christ in you. And your temptation is to strive in it and toil in it and earn it and punish yourself and remind yourself of it and try, and try, to, try to serve your way back to it and pray your way back to it and give your way back to it and sing your way back to it. And even though that stuff is great for worship, it's, not, it's never going to earn you The abolishment of shame. Matthew 11, Jesus himself is talking. He says, listen, there's one thing I want you to get, and it's this. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's like, I want you to understand that in this walk with me, this is not you becoming a slave to me. This is about for freedom. That's why I'm going to do it. My yoke is easy. The burden is light. You just have to be in me. Believe on me. The second thing, you can't edit shame through retirement. Meaning this, you can't just continue to roll your shame forward, okay? And listen, I want to speak to you for just a second. There may be a lot of you in this room, and this is exactly what you've done. You've distracted yourself from shame. You work long hours to avoid thinking about your shame. You've got counsel about, about your shame. Counseling is great, I'm not knocking it. You've tried to vacation your shame away. You've tried to gift yourself things to, 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 to remedy it. You've done a lot of stuff, but you cannot roll that junk forward. It's like kicking a can down the street, and you take two or three steps, and you're great, but then, it, then there it is again. And how that fleshes out with us, we, we come to church, we go to a life group, we have a good conversation with a friend, and all of those things uh, end up making us feel good. We leave church, we feel great. We leave a life group, we feel great. We leave a good conversation, we feel great. But you let a couple, three weeks go by, and there's your can again. There's the shame. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites were in Egypt. Obviously, we know the story. I don't have time to delve into the fact that they were God's people and so on, but they were slaves for generations. For 300 years, these guys were verbally and physically abused. And so over time, when people are shamed, they lose their sense of self-worth and they die from the inside out from their own shame. Nobody else has to do it. They don't need a judge. They don't need a parent to tell them. They don't need a close friend to tell them. They get it. They are full of shame, and they are slowly dying from the inside out. But God has a conversation with Joshua after this process is is played out in in Egypt, and God has set, set them free. Some of them are out of Egypt physically, but mentally they're still there. So they're free, but they're still slaves mentally and spiritually. So God decides in chapter 5 to have a heart-to-heart with Joshua, and this is what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. In the NLT it says it this way. Today I have rolled away the shame from your slavery. The word reproach means this, to to place on disapproval or disappointment. And God, God was saying this, Joshua, I've seen the people. They're physically out of Egypt, but spiritually, they're still there. And so today, I'm going to roll this shame off of them. Today, I'm letting go of the reproach. There's no more disappointment on you. There's no more disapproval on you. There's no more junk on you. The shame ends, and it ends today. Man, that's a good father right there. Enough is enough is what he's saying, right? So, here comes the question, what is your Egypt? What are you staying a slave to? A life of lies, an addiction, a thought life, a behavior? What is it that you're so ashamed of that you feel like the work of the cross is not enough? Okay, watch, this, this is going to be really hard. If I carry my shame and I hold on to it, this is what I'm telling God. Jesus, the cross was good, but it wasn't great enough for this. It was good. Maybe, maybe for some people, what you did on the, on the cross will work, but what I got in my hand is, is too big. That's, what, that's, that's what, what we're saying when we choose to carry our shame and not turn it over to the work of the, of the Lord. God told Joshua, he said, this day, not, not one of these days, okay? It's not out there. I'm going to eventually retire it. It's not going to be one of these days today. John Maxwell says it this way. He says, one of these days becomes none of these days. We think one day I'm going to, one day. You know, it'll all work out one day. I'm going to feel better about this. One day I will have attended enough or given enough or served enough or sang enough or prayed enough or lived right enough or avoided the theater long enough that I'll, I'll my shame will go away. It's not one of these days. It's today. So let me quickly tell you some good news about how, how he does it. He does it three ways instantly, completely, and freely. Instantly, completely, and freely. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17 says, You're the God of forgiveness. Always ready. I love that part. Always ready. It could be midnight, it could be 3 a.m. when you're tossing and turning in your bed, eat up with shame. He's ready. It could be 6 a.m. It could be 8 o'clock when you put the kids down. Any time is a good time. He's ready. Always ready, Isaiah fifty-five seven. God is merciful and quick to forgive. He's not. He's not slow. Instantly, quick. I'll do it. I'll do it right now. It's already been earned. It's already been been, been paid. Right now, he does it completely. Colossians chapter two and verse thirteen and fourteen says he has forgiven all your sins. Everybody say all. He has utterly watched this. Wiped out the evidence. And he goes on to say, annulled it by nailing it to the cross. It doesn't get any any simpler than, than that. I've wiped out the evidence. I've annulled it to the work of the cross. When Jesus died for your sin, which one did he include? All of them. That means everything that you can come up and dream up with in your mind right now about your life's story that you're ashamed of, it was paid for. Third, freely, Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned, and then it goes on to say, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him. Isn't that good? Not guilty. Lord, I just, <laughs> just got to talk to you about it. not guilty. Lord, you're not going to believe what I've done. Not guilty. Lord, five years ago, I, not guilty. God, 20 years ago, Not guilty. Lord, yesterday, not guilty. God, I'm not sleeping, not guilty. Free does not mean inexpensive. The cost of our shame was not cheap. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. And here's the good news. Jesus does not give relief. He gives release. He's not here this morning to put a band-aid on you. He's here to release you from it. You're never going to be who you need to be in Jesus until you let let it go. And some of you right now, you you need to take religion to the cross and, and, and leave it there. You are wore out trying to make yourself feel better. You are spiritually exhausted by trying to earn it. And you just need to go and drop it off, right? Some of you need to walk out of here this morning, not next Sunday or the Sunday, today. This service, this hour, right now, leave it, all right? I want you to bow your heads. I want to talk to you for a second.